Hey, it is us, John and Richard. There you go. Hey, it's Bronze and Modern Gods. You know, uh, here's all the usual stuff. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. If you like this video, hit like, hit subscribe. It really does help us. Hit the notification bell. You guys that are not getting notifications and you're on your phones, your mobile device, you have to go into notifications, go to YouTube, and then click notifications on. It's not going to happen automatically. We've got viewer mail today, the return of viewer mail. Underrated books of the week. The uh, It's time for the 25-year rules turn this week. But first, we have an exciting announcement. Richard, we're doing our first live stream at a convention. Yeah, I'm super excited. We're coming, uh, I'm coming out to meet you for California Comic Con. This is California Comic Con, a great show put on by Terry O'Neill. Uh, Richard and I have been to the show several, well, Richard, you've only been once. I've been several okay. times. Uh, this is where the infamous FF number five was purchased, right? Yes, me and my my wad of $100 bills. Yeah. <laughs> for these people who have watched the show for a long time, you know this story. California Comic Con is happening Sunday, February 5th at the Westin South Coast Plaza, the, the hotel, the Westin Hotel by South Coast Plaza here in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, we will be broadcasting live from the short boxed booth. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. Gene, we're coming. <laughs> yeah, so come out, say hi, uh, get some great books. Uh, if you have not been to California Comic Con before, it is for our audience. Let me tell you, if you're there's no cosplay, there's no panels with the fifth lead from Babylon 5. It is 100% <laughs> comics, uh, buying, selling, trading. If you go to calcomiccon.com, Again, that's calcomiccon.com. You can get more information, buy tickets, and we will see you there Sunday, February 5th. Yep, looking forward to it. And Richard, let's get started with our hot book of the week. Tell the folks what it is. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 17, specifically the 1 in 100 Disney book. Have you seen uh, this? I have. It's, it's a black and white cover uh, of Avengers number 4. It's an homage to Avengers number 4, and it features Disney characters. It's cute. I like I like the cover. I, I I'm a big fan of um, the fact that Disney owns Marvel, and therefore you are seeing this kind of cross pollinization of characters. I would say, uh, yeah, I, I like uh, Daisy Duck in in the little box where Sub Submariner should be. It's cute. Uh, I, yeah, it's cute. It's a cute book. Do you believe it's selling for 150 to 225 on eBay raw already? It came out Wednesday. I do. I do believe it. Like I said, uh, I think I think this this cross pollinization of characters is popular. And uh, yeah, I see this book having uh, having some staying power, whether it's long, long term um, or just here in the next 12, 12 months. But yeah, if you see it for 150 bucks, yeah, it, it's it's going for that. It's one in 100. So there's not a lot of them out there. I don't think uh, Spider-Man 17 was specced on heavily by retailers. So there may be some true scarcity here. Um, just a, one caveat. I can't help but putting a caveat out there. There are a lot more of these coming down the pike in the next few months. There's a Hulk number one homage, uh, several more that will have an Iron Man uh, number one or an Iron Man homage. Uh, I believe it's from Extremis. So there's more to come. I think this is sexy because it's the first one. Yeah. People well, actually, uh, Marvel did when the Marvel 1000 came out. Uh, oh, yeah. Years ago, they did a, a Disney variant 
And that has really, really held its value. Uh, I actually got one from my local comic book store and, and turned around and sold it. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, well, it's good for good money. So you're right. I, I, I don't know if this book is going to hit those kinds of highs. Um, but but uh, if there's more of these coming out, I wasn't aware that they were, they were having additional ones. And yeah, that might dilute the value of this long term. Well, I think it depends on what it is. This one's Avengers Four, so it's fun. It's got you got Mickey as Cap and Donald Duck with Thor's hammer, like having that reaction, typical Donald reaction. Um, I think the Hulk number one with Goofy. I kind of want that one myself, so I can see that one doing well. But I don't know if anybody's going to want Mickey as Iron Man from you know the Extremis era. Uh, right. I think it just really will depend on the cover um, for this one. The regular variant cover is still selling for cover price on eBay. If you really want some version of this and you don't want to shell out 150 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I like, like you said, this is, it's not put out because there's some significance in the book um, of, of a Disney crossover. It's just the cover um, yeah. for the specific variant. So, yeah. All right, let's move on to a uh, long last viewer mail. You You've guys have been mail. hitting us up the last few weeks, and we're going to catch up a bit. Richard, start us off. Yeah, my first piece is from a friend of the show, Jason Brownell. Um, and this is talking about Sabretooth. And we talked a bit about him on uh, previous show. Sabretooth has his own book, Sabretooth and the Exiles. He was cast into the island for, or cast uh, off the island, I'm assuming, uh, for refusing to play by the rules of Krakoa. His motivations to hate the X-Men are in full force in this new light. Yeah, Sabretooth, um, we talked about Sabretooth being a significant villain for a Wolverine and with Wolverine coming to the MCU in the next uh, Deadpool movie, we know we're going to see some kind of, um, some, some, some version of Sabretooth, I'm almost positive we'll see. Um, it's good to know, even with the, with the reboot that, that uh, they did for the X-Men, that um, Sabretooth still is playing a big role. I haven't really read most of the the new 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 run, so this is good information. Thank you very much, Jason, for letting us know. Yeah, ditto. I had no idea what's going on with Sabretooth, uh, but my first piece of your mail continues along the Sabretooth lines, where I mentioned that he was featured in one of the unpublished final issues of Miss Marvel, and Julius Maloney writes uh, the Miss Marvel titles were finally printed in Volume Two of Marvel Superheroes issues ten and eleven. That's correct, including the what was supposed to be the first appearance of Rogue. Sabretooth is on the cover with Ms. Marvel for issue 10. As John stated, it closed Ms. Marvel's original run. Why they didn't just print the last two issues under the original banner, I'll never understand. Yeah, I you know, if they're done and dusted, I think the last issue was only halfway done and right. they completed it for uh, Marvel Superheroes number 11. But yeah, I mean, I guess it must have been selling so badly that just cut your losses and, and move on. Yeah. It's one of those things you really wish you had some insider information on. We might have that very soon. Uh, hint, hint. Someone from that era who was in charge. But move on to your next piece of viewer mail. Uh, my next piece is from uh, Ganjabar's Medium. I'm, I'm sorry if I bitch butchered your name. They're talking about... Um, a, a new name for the the age that we're in you know modern modern has been something that's been uh hanging around with us since 
what what John? What did you say? The late, the late copper, the copper age? Yeah, I mean, after the Copper Age ends in ninety five, I guess ninety two, okay. ninety five. Yeah, so you know, modern has lasted. If if we're still in modern, has been uh, an extended uh, time. So do we do we peel off at a certain point and start a new age? And and um, Gunjabar is recommending uh, the variant age is a good option. A new age is needed. I think that the art of the last 10 years or so has set themselves apart from the modern era. So yeah, could I, or bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I, very nice. Sounds great. It sounds like a great name. It definitely shows kind of the focus. I think we're running out of, um, you know, bronze, silver, copper. I'm running out mm-hmm. of uh, elements that make sense. Um, so yeah, variant age makes uh, makes a lot of sense given uh, both Marvel and DC's um, you know preference for putting out dozens of covers for for popular books. Yeah, especially now. Uh, this might, instead of calling the period from ninety five to like two thousand or two thousand five, two thousand ten, the variant age. I think now is the variant age. Maybe that's the. I don't know, tin age or whatever. Uh, speaking of modern <laughs> comics and the modern age, uh, the next uh, piece of your mail is in response to our top modern age books to collect. And it comes to us from uh, Mark LaPuma. Please tell me that's your real name, Mark. Please. That is the coolest name ever, Mark LaPuma. <laughs> Regarding something is killing the children, I do think it is a great modern book to have in the PC. I believe the book was heavily specced on when it was announced as optioned with Netflix. Then it got another bump when the amazing writer-director Mike Flanagan uh, was announced as the showrunner. The book's value began to drop after Mike Flanagan left Netflix for Amazon to take on The Dark Tower for a series epic. Uh, And he's excited about that. Regardless, I think there is a cachet of great directors and writers that could take on the Something is Killing the Children project, with the book becoming a potential Walking Dead-level collector's item. Just my opinion, it makes a great read. Maybe people just got jaded from all the variant covers, especially once House of Slaughter dropped. House of Slaughter. I'm guilty. I bought, I don't know how many variants of that, number one, because it just seemed like too. a slam dunk, right? Yeah, I did too. I'm guilty of that too. I But then again, I bought a lot of variants. I was in on this series early, so I have a number of versions of number one of this series uh, as they came out over the, over, or the, the years. Um, I agree. I agree with uh, with Mark here. I I think this is a really really important book. It's if you think about titles, modern titles that are original stories. I think this one really hits the the note for the the horror genre. And I think in the future we're going to see something else happen to this title. Uh, I I hope it shows up on um, as a TV show. Um, if not a TV show, maybe a movie. Who knows? I think there's a lot of potential here. So you're on firmly on the hold side. Yes, I am firmly on the hold side. Absolutely. I'm selling. All right. Your next piece of your mail. <laughs> uh, my next piece uh, is from uh, this, this. This is from Spiders Comics. And this is a longer post. I, I, I It was uh, longer than I wanted to put to read here. But if you go to our previous show. Uh, you'll see this post, and I think it's a, a good post, and a lot of details to it and links, which I love. Um, so talking about uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 238 and the, specifically the tattoo situation with that book, 
I think the tattoo situation is a lot more complex than what has occurred, uh, which is CGC deeming it a green label and the community following their lead. Meaning if the tattoos are not present, then the book gets a green label. There are at least 18 Marvel comics that have been recorded to to, uh, include tattoos. The closest sibling to ASM 238 is Fantastic Four number 252, which also had the advertisement on the cover. Uh, None of these books, including Fantastic Four, have 100% inclusion of the tattoos. The idea that every single uh, number 238 left the printers with an insert uh, seems far-fetched when we look at the haphazard approach to the other issues of that month. Uh, he goes on to go be, uh, to more specific uh, information. It's really, 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 really interesting. If you have an opportunity, again, read it. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that there were eighteen other titles that had tattoos. Did you know that, John? I didn't know there were eighteen. Uh, you guys tell us in the comments which some of the other ones were. I do know Fantastic Four two fifty two had them because if I'm remembering correctly, we're going to see right here when I put the cover up in editing. It's the sideways issue. Oh. And it had, yeah, and it had the little lakeside tattoos included inside. And I remember buying that off the stands and seeing it. Mm-hmm. I do too. I don't remember seeing – I have an issue in my collection. I don't remember seeing the tattoos in it. So I'll Yeah, but from what we know about printing errors and variants and things like that, anything's possible. Uh, you guys all chime in in the comments because we want to get a little more perspective on this from you guys and your experience with this because uh, – we don't know for sure. Um, my next piece of viewer mail, I'm really glad that this person left a comment or two because, you know, it's a total sausage party in here every week um, <laughs> for the most part. So we have a comment from Nerdy Old Woman. Love that name. My top three favorite long-term spec Bronze Age runs would be Uncanny X-Men, Dark yes. Knight Returns, okay, and Miller's Daredevil run. Awesome. Slam dunks all three. Uh, Nerdy Old Woman also uh, adds, oh, and Wendy and Richard Peeney's ElfQuest as a key bronze independent comic book. Uh, One of the the first bigger, bigger one, I think, you know, you can argue Jack Katz, uh, the uh, kingdom. I'm blanking on the name. First Kingdom, I think is what it was called, uh, was also uh, one of the first independently distributed comics that was not an underground but ElfQuest, so underrated. I know. I, I, I've been secretly picking up ElfQuest, uh, the larger format books, when I see them. Uh, when I was in Florida um, this summer, uh, they had a stack of them that I just rated because just, just, like, uh, just like she thinks, I think it's an important book and I think it's completely undervalued. Here's the thing about ElfQuest. Imagine having a job, a full-time job, and saying, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. We're going to take our savings. We're going to take our money and follow our bliss, follow our dream, and put it all into this book that we're going to write and produce and distribute ourselves and just hanging on by your fingernails, hoping it works. I mean, talk about brave. Yeah. Uh, and they just don't get enough respect. And, you know, we talk about the image guys and how they changed the industry, and they did. But, man, the the, the roots were absolutely planted here. So, uh Good, good one, nerdy old woman. Thank you for that. Uh, what's your next piece of your mail? My next piece is from DOS Comics. Uh, th- thanks for the advice on the poly bag for UF4. I have been on the fence about removing my copy from the bag, uh, being that it came shipped from Marvel in the bag. 
But thinking about it, the book cannot be graded in the bag. So it, the bag, really serves no purpose. Both of your reasoning about the damage the bag can actually cause um, pushed me off the fence. My UF4 is now out of the bag. <laughs> hey, I am pleased to say there is no crease. I would look very, very carefully. If you're planning on submitting it, I would still think about pressing it because. Look um, at the back cover under a strong light and, and tilt it and look at it at angles. Yeah, it's. It can be subtle. The copy that I, I've had several copies of this book and I've had copies where it is very, very subtle. Um, uh, the one uh, corner is not perfect. It's a nine, six at best. Still awesome. Thanks for the advice. Yeah. Nine, six is still a great copy. Um, we're so, we're so just hung up on nine eights as being the ultimate, ultimate. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you took it out of the bag. I'm glad you're uh, going to uh, protect it because that bag is just sliding around in there. You're going to get, you're, it's just going to get rubs and, and, and damaged in that bag. And, and like you say, you can't get it graded in the bag. Um, when, if you, if you send it in a bag to CGC, they would have to cut it out of the bag to actually do the grading. So they will remove uh, it themselves. Absolutely definitely is something that you want to do and and take an opportunity to press it if you're planning on on submitting so yep thank you very much uh my last piece of your mail is in response to an offhand comment i made during the 40 year rule old fart rule uh <laughs> segment about 1983 where i said 1983 is the best year for music ever in history and i stand by that statement cujo bite writes 1983 music blue monday by new order Yes. Every Breath You Take by The Police. Okay. Separate Ways by Journey. Okay, yeah. fine. Uh, <laughs> Bowie, Let's Dance, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Cutter. Yeah, you're right. Never realized how much great music came out that year. Great video, guys. Thank you. I will take the opportunity to add a few more to my from my list here that I happen to have on my phone. Mm -hmm. R.E.M.'s first album, Murmur. Uh, friggin' uh, even like lower tier hits that we don't hear anymore were awesome back then dead giveaway by shalimar <laughs> was in 1983 uh photograph by def leppard uh, uh it's a mistake by men at work men at work second album cargo naked eyes always something there to remind me uh ain't nobody by shaka khan uh just even crap like hot girls in love by Loverboy. kill any <laughs> you know kills anything that's coming out today right yeah, Smiths had an album out in E3, didn't they? I, I know the record. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, just it's just an amazing, and we're biased. I, I'll, I'll admit, I have a strong bias because that's the music. You know, it's a soundtrack to my to my twenties, uh, and 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 uh, it's just amazing music. And I can't, I can't think of very many artists um, that have the same kind of impact as the ones that John just mentioned. There was um, something in the air then, you know, it was MTV was only two years old, so they were more adventurous and putting things out there. Uh, you could survive by being an artist full time back then in some ways, because uh, there were subsidations, we'll get into all this and music industry guy, don't get me started. But <laughs> 1983, best year for music ever. Uh, second place, probably 1978, I agree with you um 1984 third place but uh just check it out uh gosh 40 years ago that means it's time for no 
It's time for the 25 year rule. expecting that were you <laughs> oh we were just talking about uh I'm, I'm a, a, a huge uh sundays fan and we we're talking about it being the 33rd anniversary of their first album so we're recording this on sunday january 15th the sunday's debut record reading writing and arithmetic was released 33 years ago today uh probably definitely top three albums of all time for me i can yeah. listen to um joy on a loop for 24 hours and i wouldn't care uh i still you, have a crush on harriet wheeler so everyone has a crush i have a crush on harriet wheeler okay uh we got to see them live too yes we did yeah john and i we went to go see it was the baby tour um yeah yeah but, but we, we got still to enjoyed. see them live. We saw them on the uh, blind tour and we saw them yeah. on the staff and silence tour in, in Lakewood that's Civic right. Auditorium. Baby. Yeah. Blind. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. right. I forgot. Oh man. John and I have known each other for a long time. I know. And we have the great, we have same taste in comics, same taste in music. There's a reason why we're best friends. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're the 25 year old, by the way, um, a book that you probably don't know about uh, as much as you like this group. It is young justice, the secret number one did you know this is the first appearance of young justice i had no idea no i did not i didn't either i thought oh i'm gonna pick young justice number one for this week's 25 year old because i knew it was in 1998 i had no idea that that was not the first appearance of young justice uh there was a fifth week event for dc called girl frenzy okay yeah whatever uh i guess it was all centered around new female characters and this one shot was the first appearance of young justice robin impulse and superboy as they unite to capture a superpowered girl named secret this book believe it or not was the start of a franchise that ran for years including using that young justice branding for a cartoon network tv series which to be fair wasn't really an an ad adaptation of young justice it was more like a mashup of young justice and teen titans but mm -hmm. whatever like they used the name yeah that was a good show the last sale for this book was for a cgc 9.8 in october of 2018 for 195 dollars. so that tells me there's zero interest in this book uh while young justice number one proper sold for $125 in November of last year. Why are these books so under the radar? I thought Young Justice was a lot more popular than this. I, I think it's just DC syndrome, you know? It's uh, DC books are just at a, um, a low right now in value. Although, although, you know, if you talk about Silver Age books, you're seeing the spike in, in DC Silver stuff. But uh, yeah, it's and anything other than Silver, I think is hitting a low. Uh, we'll wait to see what happens with Mr. Gunn and if, if he can uh, revitalize the movie franchise, which would pull up the, the value of these books, too. Yeah, and I think it doesn't hurt. Uh, it hurts that there's not currently a Young Justice series happening. Uh, the last one was in 2021. Also, this cover is awful. Uh, they're not <laughs> on the cover. It's just like this monochromatic cover uh with a silhouette of secret i mean way to bury the good stuff dc under this cover but uh you know it is what it is you guys tell us why is young justice uh the secret and young justice number one so underrated why doesn't dc just their their animated stuff is so much better than their live action 
instead of putting out a live action movie, why don't they put out six animated series for the same money? I, I think it would be a better return on their investment. It probably would be. But speaking of potential animated series, that would be really cool. Let's move on to our underrated books of the week. You've got one that I'd love to see animated. Oh my God. I said, I said, John, uh, one of the, the panels from this comic, uh, which is definitely not safe for work. And um, it's just an amazing book. My pick is Air Pirates Funnies, number one from 1971. It's published by Hell Comics. Uh, Wikipedia says it's published by Last Gasp, which is the publisher for Cherry Pop-Tart. Uh, and it says it in a couple different places. So I'm, I'm going to go with what uh, CGC says because that's what matters in this case, which is Hell Comics. Um, it's famous for being an unlicensed parody of Mickey Mouse. This is back in back in the early 70s. Uh, Daniel Neal was the, the uh, impetus for this title, and he championed a fight against Disney. Uh, to quote Wikipedia, Daniel Neal imagined Mickey Mouse to be a symbol of conformist hypocrisy in American culture and therefore a ripe target for satire. Okay, this is a counterculture person at his heart. And um, he published this book, which is, again, it's, it's an unlicensed parody of Mickey Mouse, where Mickey Mouse and the other Disney characters are doing things like having sex and doing drugs. He's still living in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> he published this book with the intention of being sued by Disney. He even went as far as sneaking some copies of issue number one into a Disney board meeting uh, so that it would be discovered. That's true. Uh, I know that's apocryphal. You know, it's, 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 to me, it's part of the, the mythos behind this story. So I'm, I'm yeah, going how to did you sneak a book into a board meeting. How well, does that happen? It, was, it was the son of one of the board members um, managed to get in access and, and, and snuck okay. in he had a lot of according to him he had a lot of help and you also have to remember a lot of this stuff is based off of um remembrances of what happened you know 40 years ago 50 years ago so um, places. right um yeah so yeah the mickey uh, Di mickey was the main character um disney sued him and um and then he appealed and then appealed again and this drug out for years um he, he uh, Disney won a judgment of $200,000 on him, but again, he appealed and appealed and appealed until finally Disney spent $2 million on legal fees <laughs> and decided to call it quits and settled with the man. Um, it's, it's just a great story. I, I would love to, I would love to. Is uh, it a good story? You've read it. Oh, uh, the story itself. No, the book itself is typical comics with an X. Um, okay. It's, it's it's too busy being impressed by itself, if you ask me. Okay, gotcha. Um, as a matter of fact, if you want to read it, it's available on archive.org, both, both issues number one and issue number two. The only issues ever pr printed for this uh, particular series are available. And we'll put a link in, in the show notes if you want to go out and read it. Thanks to thanks archive.org. Um, Great. Now we're smut meddlers. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> it's history. It's a part of history. Um, there are 276 books on the census, of uh, which 12 or nine eights, which I'm surprised this is printed on cheap paper. Um, I have a copy and this is the reason I picked this because I'm, I'm prepping a, a, a set of books to go to CGC and I've got this book in the press right now. And I thought about, it. I, I bought it because I, the story was just so the story behind the book was so compelling. 
and I think it's it's a historically important comic. Um, Roz, you know, oh, okay, well, let's talk about the GPA. The, the one nine eight has sold in the past three years, and it sold for seventeen hundred dollars, seventeen hundred and ten dollars back in July. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. The the higher end books uh, tend to, to be a little bit more expensive because again, because the quality of the paper in this book is is pretty low. So getting a nine eight nine six is difficult. My book, I think, is a nine two, maybe nine four. If I press the press comes out nice, we'll see. You could pick up Raws on eBay right now. There's a chewed up one, um, which is probably a one five uh, for seventy five bucks. But you can get a decent copy for one hundred and fifty. That's that's what I paid. I bought my copy when we were at. Um, San Diego Com- Comic Con a couple years ago. I was with you and I saw the look of pure bliss and joy across <laughs> your face when you saw it. Oh yeah, it's 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 a hard book to come by. You know, I, the first time I ever saw it in person and I, I immediately at the price picked it up. Like I said, it's a piece of comic history. It's the story itself isn't important. I find I find Dan O'Neill's um quick quixotic to fight against disney to be uh really fun and interesting disney had no choice um some of the some of the stories uh, some of the panels and some of the art here has uh poor mickey doing things that they probably don't want to have <laughs> have mickey well, he's do he's also on the receiving end of things that are okay they're yes yes <laughs> but uh yeah the disney lawyers had no choice and I think that that is more the purpose of this than it is actually the telling the story. It's it's making something satirizing um, a character to the point that the um, rights owner had to to respond. Yeah. So to get that response, my question is, you know, he was also brought up on on copyright, um, you, know, you know, violations. Mickey Mouse is a character from, oh gosh, I can't remember the first year of uh, Steamboat Willie. But isn't he, isn't he, shouldn't he be public domain at this point? I mean, isn't that, oh, that you're opening up a whole can of worms. There's a whole <laughs> public domain back and forth about Disney and how Disney is really aggressively challenging public domain laws to keep Mickey Mouse from falling into public domain. Uh, so yeah, you, if you want to Google it, Google it, you guys, it's, it's a really, it's a deep hole. It's a good, no, no pun intended. Uh, it's a good read. Uh, to dig into about Disney versus public domain laws. Uh, was there any second or third printing of this book? Because a lot of these undergrounds had additional printings. There is a reprint in the 80s. I think it was 87 of this book, um, which is a reprint of issue number one. There is no reprint of issue number two that I've, I've uh, seen. So How do they get away with that in the 80s? I'm assuming that it has been edited for content. Okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Some of the panels are just, uh, I don't know how we would be able to They're get under, to it. It's an underground. Yeah. Again, it's a comics with an X. And a lot mm-hmm. of things went, um, this, just like Cherry Pop-Tart, uh, which is also a comic uh, with an X. And it had a lot of sex and a lot of drugs and a lot of things that you would not see with a comic code. But that's part, that's kind of the purpose of those books is to explore things that you couldn't explore with the comic code and they went you know all out <laughs> exactly wow good pick um my book uh underrated for this week is uh something that also was not approved by the comic code but that's because the comic code was abolished at this point 
It is Blade number five from 2007. Richard, look at this cover. Have you seen this cover before? I have not, no. Uh, you've got Blade the vampire with Wolverine's three claws through his chin with the three points sticking out of the top of his head. And Blade's just got a little smile on his face like, huh, like this is going to hurt me. Um, great cover. This was a Civil War tie-in, obviously guest starring Wolverine. Uh, inside, you've got some really good later Howard Chaikin art. I like this era of Howard Chaikin. I know some people are divided on it. I do like this. But really, let's be honest, it's all about this Jurjevic cover. Your favorite artist, Richard, uh, when it comes to covers, uh, Jurjevic. This one does not go for $40,000, unfortunately, like the uh, <laughs> Ultimate Fallout 4 Jurjevic cover. The last sale for a CGC 9.8 of this book was this very month for $120, which was a lot more than I thought it was when I picked this to be an underrated book today. Uh, but the 90-day average for a 9.8 is $92. So that's a, a little bit of an outlier, this last sale for $120. Meanwhile, raws on eBay go anywhere from $6 to $15 for the higher grades. So it's still a very attainable book, um, obtainable. It is a classic cover. I don't think this cover gets enough uh, uh, notice. Maybe when Blade enters the MCU and meets Wolverine, this will become a thing. No, I think it's a great, great pick. We know the Blade movie is coming. Uh, we know Wolverine is coming. And I think the, a battle between the two of them would be awesome. Awesome. Yes. And if that, if that does happen, then this book is going to, it's going to see a spike. For sure. A spike through the head. Three of them. <laughs> and with that dad pun out of the way, we're going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, Richard, where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods or on the website, bronzeandmoderngods.com. Thank you guys for all your support. As we inch closer to 5,000 subscribers, hit like, hit subscribe, tell a friend, uh, and make sure you hit that notification bell if you have not already. We'll see you next time. Everybody, stay safe.